So let me read uh, Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but is what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing then on the, circumcision, on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Okay. Uh, as, an, uh, as an aside, before we start there, I have a quote there from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. If you remember when we were studying the, the covenants, Martin Lloyd-Jones was the one who said, uh, I agree that the Bible is divided into two parts. Uh, those two parts are Genesis 1, 1 through 3.14, and then the second part of the Bible is Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangel, forward, and that's where he talks about the covenant of grace. And he says it's the same covenant of grace from Genesis 3.15 all the way to the end of Revelation. So this is a quote from his commentary on Romans 4, actually. I suggest that the purpose of this, for, oh, and by the way, Travis, who's teaching the, the youth Sunday school, uh, we were talking before Sunday school, and he says that he thinks Romans 4 is one of the most important chapters in the, the text because our whole Christian faith is, is based you know, we as, we as Christians, we as who were Gentile Christians, our whole faith is based upon chapter four. So uh, I said, well, I'm glad you're teaching the, the youth Sunday school then. Um, but uh, I, I agree it's important. I don't know that I'm going to, you know, cover it with the uh, weight that it deserves then. But Martin Lloyd-Jones says, I suggest that the purpose of this fourth chapter is to show that under the Old Testament dispensation, this way of salvation was not merely predicted, it was also God's way of dealing with men and saving them at that time also. The theme of this chapter, to put it in a more doctrinal manner, is that there is only one covenant of grace and that men in all dispensations are saved exactly the same way. It is the same covenant of grace under the Old Testament as it is under the New. There is a difference administration in administration, but it is the same covenant of grace. Back then, they were looking forward. We have the benefit of looking back. 
but all men uh, throughout history have been saved uh, in the same manner. So why does Paul use Abraham as an example of justification by faith alone? Uh, you know, I don't put discussion questions in, but you can feel free to jump in with answers uh, if you like. I mean, was he, was he the first who was justified by faith? Nope. Nope. I mean, what about Abel? Enoch? Noah? So why does he, why does he move up all the way uh, to Abraham? Again, remember who he's talking to. Yes, they, you know, Father Abraham, he was, he was by, with, without a doubt, from the Jewish point of view, the supreme example uh, of a righteous man. So that's where Paul decides to base his argument uh, to these Jews. Uh, and if you, you know, if, if, you, if you put this more into a, a larger context and, and know the background of what they're discussing and why they're discussing it, uh, as it says, it's clearly highlighted that Judaism, which was drifting towards works righteousness, in other words, if you're under the law, you've got to do works and adhere to the law in order to be saved. Uh, but that's, you know, they had kind of forgotten that Abraham was justified by faith. Uh, he was not clearly stated. It was, he was not justified uh, by his works. So Paul was saying that somehow I have to make an argument that will get these people to understand how we can start with Father Abraham and move all the way into what we're now talking about New Testament times, the, the quote, New Covenant. How can I make an argument that will tie this together? Because it clearly cannot be seen in the, in, in the break, as many people do, uh, Old Testament no longer applies. We are now saved by grace through faith. We are no longer under the law. Okay, it, that's, that's what many, still today, many Christians pretty much ignore the Old Testament because they believe it no longer uh, applies to them. Uh, and that is sad. Paul's making exactly the opposite argument that there is definitely continuity. And, it, and it's, it's certainly true if you consider it in the context of the covenant of grace. There is certainly continuity as we move from Genesis all the way uh, through Revelation. So Paul quotes, in fact, Genesis uh, 15, 6. This is, uh, if you can notice, this is going verse by verse because that was the easiest way to put it together on a short notice. 15, 6. Well, let me start with uh, four. And this is, in the context here, this is when uh, God promised Abraham a son. Okay. So, then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside, and he said, Now look toward the heavens, and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And here's six. Then he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Okay. Uh, some translations will say he credited it to him uh, as righteousness. All right. One of the, and, and, and this is deemed by many, and I think I would agree that this is one of the clearest statements in, in all of Scripture, 
about justification by faith, the sola fide. You know, he believed that was the sole basis on which Adam received his justification. And as we all know, uh, we're saved by grace through faith, and then it goes on. You know, this is not of your own doing or works. This is strictly uh, a gift. So faith is simply uh, a channel. It is now. It always has been. Uh, the word credit, any uh, Greek scholars here? I think they're all out and about today. Uh, but the Greek word for credited uh, is used in both legal and financial settings, even throughout the Bible. But it, it, this word is used, what was it say, nine times in chapter four alone. Uh, and if you evidently go back and look at the derivation of the Greek setting, uh, this this uh, word channeled connotes a one-side transaction. So it'd be like you just deciding for little or no apparent reason uh, to take $100 out of your pocket and hand it to me. Um, I did nothing to earn it. it it's, it's clearly one-sided. And so when he says that, when God says, when it says that God reckoned it or credited it to him uh, as righteousness, that's mean, that means he said, you, you have shown faith, and therefore I am in one of the earliest forms, imputing a, a form of righteousness uh, to you. All right. All right, so going into chapter 4, or verse 4, rather, uh, Paul now makes a giant st uh, jump from Abraham to all men, and he makes it very clear uh, that the act of declaring a person righteous is completely apart from any work, and the argument here is, is really great. I mean, if we could earn it, God would owe it. So if there was something that we could do to earn our justification, if we completed whatever that requirement was, God would then owe us salvation. Does God owe us anything? So, I mean, that, that is a pretty strong argument from my point of view, but again, if I was a Jew living under the law, where I knew that if I did in fact keep the law, then I would uh, be saved. I, I suppose uh, that that was not a really strong argument from their point of view. But salvation is always uh, a sovereignly given gift by God's grace to all who believe. Uh, if you read, uh, if you read Table Talk uh, frequently, there are excerpts that says, Matthew Henry says, so let me give you my own version of Matthew Henry says, uh, if Abraham, uh, a man so famous for works, so eminent in holiness and obedience, was nevertheless justified by faith only and not by those works, how much less can any other who falls so short of him in works expect justification based on their own works? So if they are still gonna argue that we are justified by works, we, we can earn our salvation. How could anybody, particularly of the Jewish community in the first century, suggest that they could come even close to living up to the type of, the kind of life that Abraham lived? So I'd probably be sitting there wondering how to respond to that particular argument. So you think that you have the ability in and of yourself 
to measure up to the, to the standard uh, set by Abraham. Clearly, probably not going to work. Yes? Yeah, good point. And in, in your mind, I mean, when I think of somebody taking that point of view, it, it, the first thing that comes to my mind is how arrogant. But, you know, I can well bet that since the Jews held that so much so as a core foundation of their faith, uh, they literally believed it. I mean, they were willing to listen to Paul. If they were arrogant about it, they probably would have gotten up and walked out on him but at least they were willing to listen uh, to the argument. So I think it was just part of their being. They, there was not an arrogance about it, but yes, in fact, they were indeed, I think, self-righteous. Uh, verses 6 to 8, uh, Paul turns to Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Uh, this is, uh, again, at some point, I guess I'd, I need to sit down and have somebody explain it to me or do some research. I've never understood what the problem with chronological you know, telling is because this is Psalm 32, the one that was written by David after the Bathsheba and Uriah incident, uh, second only to Psalm 51. Well, then why is, you know, it was written after Psalm 51. Well, so why is this Psalm 32? Why is that Psalm 51? I know Travis is a big scholar of the Psalter, so uh, again, he's teaching Sunday school. I'm sure he could set me straight, but uh, it should be a very familiar Psalm uh, to all of us. So, but, but clearly, when you read those first two verses by David, clearly he understood the blessing uh, of imputed righteousness because he just basically says, uh, do with me what you will. Uh, I deserve nothing in terms of grace, mercy, based on what uh, I have done. And then we come to verses 9 to 12, which are probably the most difficult uh, part of this particular uh, passage. Um, Paul obviously, uh, you know, he anticipated what the Jews were going to say. If Abraham was justified by faith alone, why did God command that he and his descendants be circumcised? Easy question? I know how Rob thinks, but so... Rob wants to say because they needed to have some skin in the game, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I know. Well, I just was say I was just saving you the trouble. Uh, 
right. uh, because if we were talking about, I don't know why there's a disparity here, but 14 years passed from the 14 to 29, I'm, I'm, I apologize. It's either 14 or 29 based on who you read, even these commentators uh, disagreed, and I don't know what they're basing that number on, but a nice long period elapsed between the time that God took Abraham outside and said, look at the stars, those are gonna be your descendants, and Abraham said, I believe, and he was re reckoned as righteous. 14 to 29 years passed between then and when he was circumcised. So the question is, you know, if he, was, if he had been justified and saved 14 to 29 years ago, what is the big deal uh, on circumcision? Paul's response, supposedly, I'm not saying I get the whole uh, logic of it, but from what these commentators said, Paul's response to that question answered the objections of both those who raised the circumcision objection and it answered the argument that we have to face even today that there are still some uh, who classify themselves or call themselves Christians who still rely on some other rite of passage, so to speak. You know, uh, I can't, I don't, I'm not a history of comparative religion. I can't give you an example. If somebody can, uh, please chime in. Uh, but there are, are many who believe, who, who even today cling to some other ceremony, rite, or activity as the basis of their righteousness. We, pardon? Sure. Well, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, delve too far into Catholicism, but obviously, you know, the, with all the, what seven sacraments, I think. Uh, there's a few of them in there that they believe are absolutely necessary. Uh, I was listening not too long ago to a series that R.C. Sproul did on Catholicism, and it's amazing how many of their, what I probably would have assumed were, were the, the, the basis of their beliefs from you know, pretty much the time of Peter onward, have only been adopted within the last couple hundred years. Infallibility of the Pope, I mean, Infallibility of the Pope only is about 200 years old, so, uh, and also so a lot of their requirements that certain sacraments uh, must be invoked or your salvation is in jeopardy. So, uh, you know, it, it can be, I suppose, a lot closer. Um, yes? <laughs> the hours and hours and hours, yeah. <laughs> Right, I have heard that, and, the, and we've all heard. I think the term "circumcision of the heart." So you know that that is you know obviously we can easily be Christian and 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 uh, justified uh, without actually being physically uh, circumcised. So uh, verses supposedly verses eleven and twelve uh, are the key, and so to make it 
simple enough for me to understand it. Racially, Abraham is the father uh, of all the Jews, those who were circumcised. Spiritually, and now we're getting into the circumcision of the heart category, spiritually, he's the father of both believing Jews and believing Gentiles. So if you want to distill verses 9 to 12 down to something fairly simple, uh, we are all, we, if, we are, if we are justified by faith, uh, our heart, as it were, uh, has been circumcised, um, and we are assured uh, of our salvation. Um, there was one, this is, uh, this is Martin Lloyd-Jones' commentary on a part of chapter 3 and a part of chapter 4. So, but I did come across, and, and this really has, it, it's not pointedly germane to the verses we're talking about today, but even he in his book, in his commentary says, before we look at the argument, and this is where he starts to uh, elicit on, on verses uh, 9 through 12, he says, I must turn aside for a moment to comment on the powerful, tenacious, and subtle character of unbelief. Notice how when one argument is demolished, another argument is immediately brought up. I mean, the Jews just kept coming back to Paul. It is the whole tragedy of mankind that it, mankind, keeps on arguing against its own salvation. Man in sin is always anxious to claim a little credit for himself. He resents the doctrine that salvation is solely and entirely the free gift of God. Isn't that true? I you know, push back, push back. You know, God needs my help even just a little bit. I need to be good. I need to do this and do that. And he says, sad commentary, uh, in fact. Uh, so, to wrap up my portion, um, as I was reading in one of the other commentaries, Paul chose two of the most noteworthy persons in the long history of the Jews to make his case. He cited Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, and David, to whom the promise was given that out of his loins the Messiah should come. Um, out of all of the Old Testament patriarchs that he could have chosen, he chose these two. Uh, he's in good company, by the way. How, how, who else started off their story, so to speak, of the life of Christ by choosing David and Abraham? What's the first what's the first verse of the chapter of Matthew? Yeah. Remember you, 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 a lot of us may kind of mm, skim that frequently because that's where he starts the genealogy uh, of Jesus, but the first verse says the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So um, there you have uh, what I was able to pull together on the first 12 chapters. But the, the example continues, by the way, in chapter 13. All of chapter 4 is going to elicit some uh, examples of the fact that righteousness is, in fact, uh, a gift. It's a gift, you know, by faith.
So we'll, we'll get a little bit of that um, next week, and then we'll move uh, more into uh, chapters uh, 5, which deals with the promises. All righty. Any other comments? Feel free. Comments? Questions? grace indeed Yep. Yeah, Travis is right. If this argument doesn't stand, we're in trouble. pray. Our gracious God and our Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we are so grateful uh, that this argument stands and that uh, we find ourselves justified by faith alone, which is a gift from you. We just thank you for that gift. We thank you for all those uh, who are named uh, in your book of life, and we just are so grateful for your word that uh, makes it clear and clear. Give us a continued thirst to be in your word, to learn more about you, and to indeed uh, get out of our own way and do everything unto your glory. Be with us as we head into worship, prepare uh, our hearts. We lift up Travis as he prepares to bring the message, and we thank you once again for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.